Homes with a reputation for being haunted or where someone had violently died present a very real challenge for realtors. Fortunately for property values everywhere, the Realtor.com 2018 Haunted Real Estate Report, yes, there is one, found that one in three people are willing to buy a haunted or otherwise stigmatized house, but only if they could get some kind of deal out of it. Perks like a price cut, a great location, or even an extra-large kitchen will entice home buyers to overlook those pesky prior inhabitants. There's one single-family house that has more ghosts and reported deaths per square foot than any other in the nation and has a constant high turnover of residents, always a sign of a paranormally infested home. But it's a highly desirable property. In fact, there are some people who will do anything to reside in those extremely haunted halls. Because this house has the biggest perk of all. Living here means you're the most powerful person in the world. This most haunted house on the North American continent is none other than 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., the White House. My name is Diane Ladley, America's ghost storyteller. Since November is the month of elections, it's appropriate that we take a haunted tour of the White House. In this episode, I call These Ghosts Want Your Vote, because this is history. It's history of the undying American spirit. On a cold winter night in early 1946, the newly sworn President Harry S. Truman was awakened at 4 o'clock a.m. by three firm, steady knocks on his door. As he later wrote to his wife, Bess, in a letter archived in the Truman Presidential Library and Museum, I jumped up and put on my bathrobe, opened the door, and no one was there. Went out and looked up and down the hall, looked in your room and Margie's, still no one. Went back to bed after locking the doors, and there were footsteps in your room whose door I'd left open. Jumped and looked, and no one there. The damn place is haunted, sure as shooting. Secret Service said not even a watchman was up here at that hour. Harry Truman had led men in the front lines of World War I, had been a respected, level-headed county judge in Missouri, a powerful U.S. senator, the vice president under Franklin Roosevelt at the dawn of World War II, and rode into the White House on the motto, Give em hell, Harry! But on that night, alone, with disembodied footsteps and invisible visitors knocking at his door, President Truman was clearly spooked, but didn't want to admit it. He finished his letter on a whimsical note. You and Margie had better come back and protect me before some of these ghosts carry me off. The president's daughter, Margaret, wrote him back to say that she and her mother were skeptical about the existence of ghosts, presidential or otherwise. But in his return letter, Truman disagreed. I'm sure they're here, and I'm not so much alarmed at meeting up with any of them. I am sure old Andrew Jackson could give me good advice and probably teach me good swear words. And I'm sure old Grover Cleveland could tell me some choice remarks to make some political leaders. So I won't lock my doors or bar them either if any of the old coots in the pictures out in the hall want to come out of their frames for a friendly chat. Publicly, Truman rationalized the eerie knocking, footsteps, cold spots, and the drapes that occasionally moved by unseen hands were nothing more than the sounds and drafts of an old, old house. One of his first acts as president was to order the renovation of the iconic home down to its bones. But that didn't stop the American spirits, great and small, from their nightly pursuits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I feel a little stupid at confessing this, but I didn't realize that the White House is actually made up of three buildings interconnected into one massive structure. 
The image that we normally envision as being the White House is actually the central building, officially named the Executive Residence. This is, as the name suggests, where the President and his family live on the second and third floors. Long, colonnaded walkways connect the other two buildings on either side of the Executive Residence. These buildings are the East Wing, which hold the offices of the First Lady and the Emergency Bunker and Escape Tunnel, and the West Wing, the center of American power. With all three buildings together, the entire White House consists of six levels, 132 rooms, 35 bathrooms, three elevators, and 28 fireplaces. It's an enormous building, and even the most insignificant rooms have its ghosts. So now join me on a guided ghost tour of the most paranormally active areas within the most famous haunted house in the world. We'll start at the North Portico, a stately entrance so haunted it might be said that it's a portal into the great beyond. The ghost of Anne Surratt, daughter of Mary Surratt, who was hanged for her role in the plot to assassinate Lincoln, pounds on the door and begs for her mother's life. She's also reported to sit on the front steps every July 7th, the anniversary of her mother's execution. A British soldier wielding a torch is often spotted here and on the grounds, perhaps the ghost of the very same man who burned the original White House in 1814 when England tried to take their colony back. To ensure that enemy soldiers never get inside again, the ghosts of long-deceased doormen still stand faithful guard here at the North Portico. Let's sneak down into the basement to maybe catch a glimpse of the most otherworldly of White House spirits, the mysterious DC Demon Cat. This basement level is also called the ground floor, since it's even with the first floors of the east and west wings. It's confusing until you realize that the executive residence is built on a small hill. Servants used to be housed in this level, and today it's still where the kitchens, housekeeping, secret service, curator, and presidential doctor's offices are located. For hundreds of years, cats were once welcome to roam the basement and tunnels under the White House and Capitol building to catch mice. But this supernatural being isn't the lingering ghost of a single cat. It's something far more frightening. Though sometimes seen in the White House, its primary lair is said to be the basement crypt directly below the Capitol building's rotunda, a large circular room originally intended as a tomb for President George Washington now a major thoroughfare between the two wings of Congress and a popular stop on the Visitor Center tour. Legend says the demon cat first appears as a tiny, all-black kitten scampering down the marble hallway to the amusement of the eyewitness. But as it charges, it grows bigger and bigger into a menacing ten-foot-long black panther. With an unearthly roar, it leaps to attack, but in mid-pounce, it vanishes. One guard reportedly died of a heart attack after facing down the terrifying black shadow cat. Though frightening, the phantom feline is actually an otherworldly warning from beyond that disaster will soon befall the nation. White House security guards have reported nerve-wracking encounters with the demon cat right before the assassinations of Presidents Lincoln and Kennedy, and again before the stock market crash that launched the Great Depression. After Donald Trump was elected president, a flurry of ominous demon cat sightings were reported on social media. Fake news? Only time will tell. We'll take the stairs back up and peek into the East Room. Abraham Lincoln's ghost has been spotted here. After all, it's the room where his body lay in state, just as he had dreamed on a night before his assassination. 
For more details on this historically creepy event, go back and listen to the Hysteria Episode 8 entitled Abraham Lincoln's Eight Premonitions. But there's a ghost even older than Lincoln who actively haunts the East Room to this day. When Abigail Adams, wife to the second president, John Adams, needed to hang her laundry in a White House still under construction, she chose the drafty, unfinished East Room. When Adams' adversaries clucked in disapproval, her renowned temper flared. They weren't cowed, which enraged her all the more. Hell hath no fury of a woman scorned about her housekeeping. Perhaps it was out of sheer cussed spite that, after her death in 1818, Abigail Adams' ghost was seen hanging laundry in the East Room, filling the air with the fragrance of freshly washed laundry, bleach, and lavender. President William Howard Taft witnessed Abigail's ghost drifting through a door on the second floor, and as recently as 2002, a group of tourists saw her en route to the East Room with her arms outstretched as if carrying a laundry basket. Poor Abigail. I'd hate to spend my afterlife doing laundry. Now let's walk west down the cross hall to the second door on the left, the elegant blue room. This oval room is the largest of three state parlors and is the traditional place for the president's family to greet visitors. However, it holds a very dear place in one president's heart. It was in this blue room that President John Tyler asked the lovely young Julia Gardner for her hand in marriage. And he still does so, again and again in a ghostly reenactment that's at the same time wildly romantic and wildly terrifying. Let's sneak up the grand stair to the second floor where the first family live. At the landing, we'll turn left into the East Sitting Hall and the Queen's Bedroom, a luxurious suite of rooms often used for visiting dignitaries. Also known as the Rose Room, this bedroom suite used to be President Andrew Jackson's bedroom. No less a personage than First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln claims to have confronted his cantankerous ghost there, stomping back and forth and cussing up a storm. Loud bursts of male laughter, unexplained cold spots, and Jackson's intimidating presence have also been reported down through the centuries. Perhaps the most famous of all the White House's paranormal encounters occurred here. Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands fainted dead away when she answered a late-night knock on her door and came face-to-face -face with Abraham Lincoln top hat and all. Speaking of the Great Emancipator, the Lincoln bedroom is directly across the hall from the Queen's bedroom and vies with it for being the most paranormally active room in the entire White House. On March 18, 1986, President Ronald Reagan stunned guests at a state dinner when he admitted that his daughter Maureen and her husband Dennis had both seen the ghost of Abraham Lincoln while sleeping in the Lincoln bedroom. Dennis woke up and saw a tall, misty figure gazing out the window. The figure turned towards him, then vanished. Maureen had teased him about it, but a month later she awoke to see the unmistakable figure of Abraham Lincoln standing at the same window looking out, and she could see the trees right through him. Just as before, he turned and simply disappeared before her eyes. Ronald Reagan also admitted that on two occasions, their dog, Rex, had stood at the threshold of the Lincoln bedroom, barking frantically toward the window, but refused to step a single paw into the room. Maureen and her husband were lucky compared to other guests in the Lincoln bedroom. Winston Churchill had just stepped from the bathroom stark naked, except for the cigar in his mouth, when he saw Honest Abe's ghost standing by the fireplace. 
There's no way to know which one of them was the more horrified, but the gruff British bulldog refused to spend another night there. Like Rex after him, Franklin D. Roosevelt's dog, Fala, also showed signs of being disturbed by an invisible presence in the room. And Roosevelt's personal valet actually encountered Lincoln's ghost there, which terrified the man so badly he ran screaming from the White House never to return. Other dignitaries who have reported seeing or feeling Abe's presence in the Lincoln bedroom include Presidents Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, Herbert Hoover, and Theodore Roosevelt, First Ladies Grace Coolidge, Lady Bird Johnson, Jacqueline Kennedy, and Eleanor Roosevelt, First Daughter Susan Ford, Margaret Truman, as well as dozens of household staff. All of these sightings are understandable when you learn that, in Lincoln's time, it wasn't his bedroom at all. Rather, it was his cabinet room, where Abraham Lincoln received the latest horrific news of the Civil War and, as Commander-in-Chief, agonized over the terrible decisions that spelled life or death to millions of Americans. No wonder his tragic spirit haunts this beautiful room to this day. Ever since Abe Lincoln was a boy, he was known to occasionally slip into unsettling trances, staring off into space, unaware that people were talking to him. During a presidential dinner at the White House, one French diplomat counted 20 such disquieting trances experienced by Lincoln in a single evening. Psychics call such trances astral projection, casting one's consciousness across time and space. During such trances, did Lincoln maybe see an ethereal bedroom overlapping his real cabinet room, occupied by people dressed in strange clothing, or no clothing at all, staring at him in open-mouthed shock? Did Abe's psychic abilities cause time to fold in on itself again and again in that space in the White House, giving him glimpses of the future, and to others, glimpses of a ghostly past president? Let's stay on the second floor and head west, past the Grand Stair, to the center hall, where Lincoln used to pace on many a sleepless night, a heavy shawl over his shoulders to keep off the chill. He did this so often that for a century afterward, White House staff frequently encountered his ghost walking this corridor, huddled in his warm shawl. The first door on your left is the Yellow Oval Room, where the first family spends much of their free time relaxing or sitting outside on the Truman balcony, just past the tall windows that line the back of this chamber. This room used to be Lincoln's personal library and one of his favorite rooms. First Lady Grace Coolidge was the first to have seen the reflection of Lincoln's sad, homely face, gazing out the windows as he had so often done in life. The poet and Lincoln's biographer, Carl Sandburg, reported feeling the assassinated president come stand next to him at this window. But Lincoln is not the only ghost here, nor the first. Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, a staunch believer in spiritualism, reported seeing the spirits of both Presidents Thomas Jefferson and John Tyler in the Yellow Oval Room. The Yellow Oval Room also has the distinction of being haunted by the oldest ghost in the White House. During the Truman era, a reporter got the fright of his life when he clearly heard a man's voice whispering to him, I am Mr. Burns as he stood in the yellow oval room. Not long after, a security guard heard a voice call out several times from the direction of the yellow oval room, I am Mr. Burns. Thinking it was then Secretary of State James Burns, the guard went searching for him, only to learn that the secretary hadn't been at the White House at all that day. And during Franklin Roosevelt's administration, that same poor valet who was eventually chased out of a job by Lincoln's ghost had also heard a disembodied voice coming from behind him in the yellow oval room, clearly saying, I am Mr. Burns. Who was Mr. Burns? 
David Burns was the original owner of the 700 acres of swampland that the White House and much of Washington, D.C. was built on. Renowned for being a bigoted, unpleasant man with a bad temper, Burns was not happy about the sale and had to be threatened with eminent domain if he did not sell at a price they wanted. Why he keeps introducing himself centuries after his death, no one knows. All of the second-floor bedrooms have a multitude of ghosts and ghost stories associated with them. And it's no wonder. Throughout the White House history, at least ten people have died on this floor of the White House alone. A fact that must have enlivened all those slumber parties that Malia and Sasha Obama held in these same rooms when their father was president. No doubt the girls whispered about how, in 1953, a visiting husband and wife woke up in their second-floor room to see a British soldier trying to set fire to their bed before suddenly disappearing. He might be the same redcoat that haunts the North Portico trying to burn the place down again. Other stories mention the alarming sounds of a woman screaming in pain from one of the second-floor bedrooms. That's believed to be Mrs. Frances Cleveland, wife of Grover, who was the first First Lady to give birth in the White House, in her room on this floor. Sasha and Malia weren't the only young girls to grow up there. In October 2018, Jenna Bush, daughter to President George W. Bush, admitted on the Today Show that she and her sister Barbara experienced mysterious, unexplained occurrences in their White House bedrooms, including the sound of opera and piano music from the 1920s drifting from the fireplace, and their phones ringing in the middle of the night with no one on the other end. Creepy? Yes. But perhaps you say they were simply ordinary dropped calls. Consider this, then. With all the ultra-secure, highest of high-tech communication systems in the White House, such creepy dropped calls to the President's daughters late at night should be an impossibility. Certainly the saddest ghost on the second floor is that of young Willie Lincoln, who died here age 11 in February 1862 after a short illness. Perhaps Willie inherited his father's renowned psychic abilities, for his presence was often sensed by President Lyndon Johnson's daughter Linda when she lived here. And throughout the 1870s, staff members of Ulysses S. Grant admitted to hearing the voice of a young boy in these bedrooms, and even spoke with him. Abe Lincoln claimed to feel Willie's presence walking by his side during these midnight walks around the White House, or sometimes standing with him at his desk in the Oval Office, speaking with him. Willie's ghost comforted and reassured him in his darkest hours. But in 1911, during President William Howard Taft's administration, the domestic staff was terrorized by a ghost they only called The Thing. One of Taft's military aides, Major Archibald Butt, wrote of this haunting in a letter to his sister Clara. The ghost, it seems, is a young boy about 14 or 15 years old. They say that the first knowledge one has of the presence of the thing is a slight pressure on the shoulder, as if someone were leaning over your shoulder to see what you might be doing. Sounds exactly what Willie used to do, leaning over his father's shoulder 50 years before. Somehow nobody made the connection that dear, sweet, tragic Willie might have been the thing that raised so much terror among the servants. Major Butt, and yes, that was his rank and name, go ahead and snigger, God knows I did, writes on to tell Clara that things got so bad with the thing, President Taft ordered Butt to warn the White House staff that the first person to get caught repeating stories about the thing will be fired. 
The fact that Major Butt was the first to blab and so should have fired himself obviously didn't occur to the Major. Sadly, Major Archibald Butt died less than a year later, in April 1912. He had been a passenger on the Titanic. Finally, let's take the elevator up to the top floor of the White House residence, up to the promenade and attic. This old attic used to be accessible only by ladder and was used for storage and housing for slaves and later household servants. However, President Herbert Hoover had much of the attic refinished and renovated into guest rooms, which later presidents expanded into additional living quarters for their personal use. Dwight Eisenhower was known to have used the small kitchen here to cook his favorite soups and stews, using vegetables picked fresh from the promenade greenhouse. The Clintons especially contributed their touch to this floor, adding a music room, workout room, game room, and a beautiful solarium or sunroom. Now it's a floor filled with light, priceless antiques, and the comforts of family. But for many ages, it was everything a dark and spooky attic could possibly be, including a ghost. William Henry Harrison, the ninth president, who died of pneumonia just one month into his term, is said to haunt here. He's heard rummaging around as if looking for something. Who knows what he's searching for up in this attic? I doubt Christmas decorations. Over the centuries, the rooms of the White House have seen war, illness, depression, tragedy, anguish, and death countless times over. Is it any wonder, then, that America's mansion is also America's most haunted house? Stay tuned after the credits for a special spooky little coda on one of the White House's most often told ghost stories, one that's totally fake news. Hysteria is written, researched, and produced by me, Diane Ladley, America's ghost storyteller. But this episode would not have been possible without the financial backing of my wonderful artistic sponsors, who proudly support Hysteria with either a monthly pledge on Patreon.com or one-time donation on PayPal. Being an artistic sponsor to Hysteria is surprisingly affordable, because a regular sponsorship starts as little as $1 a month on Patreon.com, and you could cancel anytime. It's easy and safe. I've included links to Patreon and PayPal in the notes for this episode. Or go to hysteria.com and click the Send Diane a Tip link. If you like this Hysteria episode but are unable to become an artistic sponsor, you could still help by clicking the subscribe or follow button to automatically get new free episodes once a month. And while your podcast player is open, will you also do me a super quick favor? Give Hysteria a five-star rating and write a few nice words about it. Nothing epic, just I love this podcast or Demon Cat for President. Then share this episode on your Facebook, Twitter, or other social media pages. These little things you could do help enormously to get Hysteria listed higher in the podcast rankings so more people will find Hysteria. Thank you for your support. I gratefully welcome and appreciate everything you could do. And now, as promised, keep listening as I blow the whistle on one of the White House's most famous ghosts. While strolling the promenade high on top of the executive residence, let's peer out over the West Colonnade to the fabulous Rose Garden just outside the West Wing. This is the sumptuously fragrant setting of one of the White House's most famous ghost stories. 
The story goes that in 1913, First Lady Edith Wilson, who was Woodrow Wilson's second wife, wanted to redesign the rose garden that First Lady Dolly Madison, wife of James, had established during her husband's two terms from 1809 to 1817. When Edith's gardeners started digging up Dolly's prized roses, her furious ghost appeared and scared the life out of them. Since then, no one has dared to so much as hint at destroying Dolly's cherished roses. Unfortunately, this entire story is completely fake. Dolly Madison never had a rose garden here. The land where the rose garden and West Wing are now used to be the stables and carriage house in the Madison's era. Eventually, greenhouses were built starting in 1857, with separate conservatories for citrus fruits, roses, camillas, orchids, and bedding plants. These sprawling, massive structures provided the White House with produce and flowers all year round. Abe Lincoln used to give lemons from the White House orangeries as Christmas gifts. But in 1902, Teddy Roosevelt had the conservatories torn down to add the West Wing. Teddy's wife, Edith, established the first flower garden on that site, but it was a colonial-style garden with only a few rose bushes. It was actually First Lady Ellen Wilson, Woodrow's first wife, who designed and established the real rose garden in 1913. Not Edith, his second wife, nor Teddy's wife, Edith, and certainly not Dolly Madison 100 years before. In 1961, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy extensively redesigned it to the rose garden and lawn we know today, as well as repaired the East Garden, which now bears her name. So if a ghost did indeed berate gardeners during the Woodrow administration, it was more likely Edith Roosevelt's spirit, infuriated about the loss of her colonial-style garden. But the beloved Dolly Madison, famous for her social parties that successfully encouraged bipartisan cooperation, even friendship between political rivals, does not haunt the White House at all. No, she haunts her old Washington, D.C. home that bears her name, often seen sitting in her rocking chair on the west porch, smiling serenely at visitors. Hey, if you're ever at the Dolly Madison house, maybe you could coax her ghost back into the Washington, D.C. social world. We desperately need her acclaimed ability to charm bipartisanship back into today's politics. That's it for this month's episode. Thank you, dear podcast listener, for tuning in to Hysteria. It's history of the undying American spirit.